This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. All right. Hi, everyone. I am Annie Grace, author of This Naked Mind, and today I'm here with Emma. And Emma came to me. She has such an exciting story because I think specifically because of her background and just her success in life and her empowerment and and decisions. And so, Emma, here you are. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Annie. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so fun. So we're just going to kind of go through a bunch of questions and, I mean, Mm -hmm. pretend it's just us talking, like nobody's listening. We're just here. Okay. (laughs) Um, So kind of, you know, what did your life look like before you really started questioning your drinking? And I guess more importantly, like, where did you even start with you drinking wise? Yeah. So, I mean, I've had a very lucky, good life. I mean, I can't complain about anything. I I was raised in London, England, and I came over to the States when I was like 18. And I had relatives in my house that were drinking. I had alcoholism. I would say I grew up around a lot of alcohol. And I so I was always sensitive to the fact that I might have a problem. Uh, regardless of being worried about that, I still, you know, when I was 14, I started going out on Saturday nights with my friends and drinking. And so very early on, I started drinking. And you'd have to say binge drinking because, you know, Saturday night. And uh, so that, you know, and I was drinking quite a lot for a teenager, you know, early on, although it would just be on the weekends kind of thing. And did you, uh, did you like it at the time? Was it pretty? I did. Yeah. yeah, I was just, you know, I was kind of a wild child. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and back in the 80s, everyone smoked. I smoked too, you know, it was bad, you know. So, um, you know, it was just, uh, it's just what we did, and especially in England too, it's probably more of that culture. Uh, but when I came over to the States, um, you know, I was still kind of drinking off and on. I, I knew that it I needed to be careful with it just because of what I'd seen growing up a little bit. Um, And then, so, right, I think I was maybe in my mid-20s when I actually went to my first AA meeting. I just wanted to quit. Um, And I really, I've been, I was in and out of AA from like 25 to early 30s. And what sort of triggered that first meeting? Was it this? You know, just, I always like, fear of turning out like certain relatives, yeah. you know, and just like having a problem. And I have to say that AA is a wonderful program yeah. for many people. But here I was this like 20 year old person, blonde chick in a meeting. <laughs> and it was just like, I did not, I, you know, I tried to fit in, to feel like I fit in. And maybe that's my problem, but, and everyone was so nice, but I just didn't have the bottoming out. I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to drink, you know? Right. So, uh, so that went on, but I got like five years of sobriety. And during that time, clear headed as I was, I ended up getting my PhD, uh, for, you know, like in a science and so that was good. I finished that up and I don't know that I would have finished that up if had I not been sober. So that was really good. Um, but then I graduated and I um, hung up my shingle as a medical writer, where I write about medicine and science. And in my early 30s, I met my first husband, and he's like, Oh, you can drink. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. 
I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna have wine. I always just wanted to be able to drink a glass of wine with dinner. That right. was has been my goal up until recently. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't necessarily happen that way. So uh, here I am, um, the career, the freelance business goes really well, it's still going well, and it, it's just up, up, up. Um, and I, uh, let's see, I never drank every day, but that's because I made myself not drink every day. Like, it was mm -hmm. always like, I just was always concerned with it, always obsessed with how much I was drinking, but yet I would still binge drink. Um, and by binge drinking for me, like I think the definition is like four drinks and that's just me getting started. Okay, right. so binge drinking to me, like I, I have this mechanism in my body where I can drink, 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 and then I just pass out and I shut down, which is fortunate because I don't poison myself other than just, you know, being shut down. Like luckily I never went past a certain point. But anyway, so that's, um, anyway, uh, so... Okay, so then uh, ended up getting divorced, became, you know, living by myself with my daughter. I had a daughter, have a daughter, but she was uh, seven years old at the time. And so I was starting to, like, when I got divorced, it was like, I was happy about it because it was, he was a nice guy, not the right guy. But I was like, oh, no, I can drink what I want because nobody's right. here to watch me drink, right. you know? <laughs> so I'm just drinking wine by myself every night with my young daughter who's gone to bed. And luckily nothing bad happened out of that, thank God. But yeah, I mean, I just started drinking more and more. Um, but I would always function, you know, get up the next day, that kind of thing. Then when I was, uh, so then I got remarried in 2013 to my current husband and uh, we both have a lot of fun drinking together uh, and he drinks uh, in a different way than I do. Like he, I consider him like if there is such a thing as social drinker, but, uh, but I would always, you know, drink to excess and um, so I have like in the last year, I would say I, I've just we we would go out like Friday, Saturday night would be the time to really hit the hit the you know bottle, whatever it is. You know, go out, drink every Friday, Saturday night. Of course, the whole weekend shot because right. you feel like feel like crap on Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then also during the week, I would just have probably a couple of drinks, but you know that I started drinking rum. Which I always try to stick to wine, but now I'm on hard liquor, you know, so it got to be rum and more and more. And I started forgetting portions of the evening, like blacking out more and more. And um, also uh, blacking out more and more, I think that would be the main thing. Like I was starting to forget portions of what right, right. what was going on. So, uh, but I knew from my past experience in AA, as great as it is, I did not want to sit around in meetings. I just didn't. I just didn't want to sit around and say, oh, I'm an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, that's great, but like, so when I, so, oh, oh, here's what happened though. Okay, a couple of things led up to me reading your book because I, I had to have the impulse to search for your book. Right. So the first thing that happened was I went to the doctor for an annual checkup. I'm as healthy as an ox. I always have been, but my liver enzymes were elevated. And I'm like, and I had just come up off some trip that I'd been on drinking every day. So I'm like, okay, well, 
that's a red flag to me. The doctor didn't say anything, but I knew inside what was going on. And then um, I went out uh, one night. Um, it was probably like four weeks ago now. But uh, there's a rooftop bar that we like to go to. And I had had a few drinks. And there's the steps to come down from the rooftop, which is like really dangerous for people that have been drinking. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway... I was like not feeling, you know, my quite sober and I held on, I fell and I held on to the railings and caught myself, thank goodness. But like, what if I hadn't caught myself? Like, could I have broken my neck? You know, like how many wake up calls do I need? Or like what really bad stuff? Can I swear? Yeah, what really bad shit has to happen to me <laughs> before, you know, I get the wake-up call that this is not good for me. Mm -hmm. um, also, my daughter, who's four, about to be 14, you know, has seen me drunk many times, and I regret that. Um, so, uh, okay, and so the final straw was we were coming home on a Saturday night, and um, my uh, friend's... So my husband was driving and he was, I don't know, he probably wasn't, he's was probably close to the limit, maybe a little bit over, but he was driving and my daughter's friend's parents brought my daughter home and stopped us as we got out of the car. And he, and he said, it, and I don't fault him, but he said in a really, uh, you know, a really diplomatic way, he says, you know, I, I wanted to bring your daughter home rather than you picking her up because, you know, I used to do all that and drink and stuff and drive and I just didn't want her to be going through that. And I'm like, wow. you know, my husband, of course, is like, I could drive. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, I felt really like he was so diplomatic, but I felt inside I just was like, you know what, he's got a point. That's just not cool right. at all. So I was like, okay, well, AA is not the answer for me. I, I can't go back to that, but um, let me see what's going on online, you know, look up alcohol and stuff. And so your book popped up, and it had, like, of course, like the others had a few stars, you know, five-star reviews, and, like, yours had, like, 700 five-star reviews or something <laughs> like that. I was like, okay, that must be the book to get. And I also liked it because it said control your alcohol because I don't know that I was quite ready to quit. So that was very good that it um, sort of leads you in to the idea that you should like not drink at all. So that worked out really well. So, you know, Sunday morning. So the Saturday the 8th was when I was that night. And then Sunday morning I spent Sunday the whole day I spent reading that book. And I'm like, I'm not drinking. I'm not going to drink anymore, you know, because one by one. That book, your book, The Naked Mind, it it smashed any illusion that I might have that alcohol adds to my life. And that's what the problem was. Right. Because I thought that I would be deprived from not drinking. But, you know, I can't see how it adds to my life in any way. Like, not even stress relief uh, or anything. So it's kind of like, I can drink if I want to, but it took away the desire to drink, which, I mean, it's a freaking miracle. <laughs> and it's so interesting. It's I a think, miracle. Because, um, you know, there's so much about the physical dependence that, that we talk about and that we actually focus on, you know, this physical dependence, especially 
you know, doctors, you mentioned going to your doctor and, you know, most often yeah. your doctors aren't even going to ask you about how much you drink. And, and, yeah. if they and then do, you're going to lie. You're going to lie. Right? right. So it's, it's this thing that is the number one um, preventable cause of death in the United States right now. Number one. Yep. And um, we talk a lot about the opiate academic. We talk uh, academic epidemic. We talk a lot about, um, you know, all of these other things when the one thing we talk about, and, and the reason is probably because the doctors themselves are also drinking, and we just we just don't really think about this in terms of, would I be happier without it? Like, we don't ask that question. We ask no. this terrifying question, am I an alcoholic, or is there something wrong with me, you know? And and that's horrible, and, and really, it's just that alcohol is addictive to humankind, <laughs> you know, not, yes. not just to a few people. Um, but one thing you said that I think is really interesting is that that taking away the desire for it, you can have somebody, within five to seven days, the physical withdrawal is over. You are detoxed. Alcohol is mm -hmm. out of your system. Scientifically, and I'm sure you can you know, expand on this yourself, you are not going to be in a physical state of, of needing alcohol. Yet people go for years and years and years feeling massively deprived. And so much of that is the mental. And we don't talk about, you know, let's, let's work on taking away the mental piece, the desire for it. So, um, yeah. That, yeah, that's absolutely right. And it was just such a revelation to me that I didn't have to feel shame because I'm an alcoholic. You know, do I really have to label myself? Can I just like quit drinking? And you know, I gotta say, like, I've been out with friends who drink, and it is very threatening. Yeah. People that drink, I'm not judging anybody. I mean, you, you can drink. That's fine. I don't have any judgment on it. But like, for me, is it okay if I don't drink? I mean, really? It's like not yeah. okay in the society. Everyone like, you know, it's very, so what it's do you weird. do in those situations? How do you, how have you been handling it? Well, one friend, I mean, she, she thought she was drinking, you know, and she, I, I was just sitting there. I'm just sitting there not drinking and I'm not judging, but like the, it was projected onto me that I was patronizing her or something. And I'm like, so that was a weird thing. So I don't know about that, but um, the, I also went out with some friends and ordered a glass of wine just so that to sit there in front of me. And then I, I asked my husband to take some sips once in a while so the level would go down. And that yes. works beautifully. Like right. I didn't have to say anything about why I wasn't drinking or nobody noticed. That was great. Yeah, yeah. It's so I don't know that that's the way, but I mean, I totally... Totally understand. I remember being at my first wedding alcohol-free and ordering a alcohol-free beer just so I wouldn't get all those bazillions of questions. And then, you know, it ended up making me feel really gassy. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. oh, this probably isn't my answer. But because I can't not, yeah. like if I have it in my hand, no matter what it is, whether it's coffee or water, I'm going to, I'm a very hydrated person these days. I, I keep on sitting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I ordered two big bottles of Pellegrino when I went out to dinner the other night, like cute big ones. So, you know, that's just, whether it's wine or, you know, whatever, I'll drink it. But um, one of the things, I mean, I would like it to be, and I think you're just starting a movement with this, but I would love it if you could just go somewhere and not drink and not have to feel bad about that or not have to yeah. defend yourself against it. I mean, like you say, 
you know, in your book, if you stop eating eggs, nobody questions you. Yeah. You stop yeah. drinking coffee. That's great. But, you know, alcohol, man. <laughs> yeah, there was a comedian who recently did a little skit on it, and he, he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not a butcher, so I'm not even going to try, but he was, he was just, just so funny because he doesn't drink it. He was just making fun of this phenomenon that you go out and you tell people that you're not drinking, and it's almost as if you told them you've come down with some, like, horrible thing and then there's the also implied <laughs> judgment which is just so painful i wish we could brainstorm together and think of just this one phrase that had the right level of kind of like non-threatening cutesy put people at their ease but also you know one thing i started doing early on was you know kind of really beating myself up like i was very similar in the sense that you know i didn't i didn't have this massive rock bottom like i certainly had instances like you're talking about with the the person telling you about the driving and whatnot, where it was like, okay, that's not cool. Like, <laughs> that's a, a big kind of aha moment for me, but there was no major yeah. crisis. And so um, people were like, well, why, why? You, didn't, you didn't really have a problem. And I think people even find it harder because if, if they could see that you did have a problem and they can put you in that box, then they can separate themselves from you. And then they can say, okay, well, I'm not her. I'm not you know, doing what she's doing. So I'm still okay and I'm safe. And I think the problem really stems from a massive level of insecurity with their own drinking because we do have this internal battle going on with, within mm -hmm. us, no matter who we yeah. are. And, yeah. um, you know, the I'm sure you're familiar with the DSM, you know, the diagnosis of all mental health diseases, um, both here and in the UK, I believe uses it as well. And in the DSM, the definition for alcohol use disorder means you have to answer yes to two of these 12 questions. Two of the 12 questions are these, and this just blows me away because this describes everybody I know, is um, do you have to drink more than you used to to get the same effect? So have you built yeah. up tolerance? Yeah. And do you have occasions where you drink more than you intend? And mm -hmm. everybody I know falls into everybody. that category. And I think yeah. on some level we all know that. We all know that what we're doing, right? And so um, when we see somebody elevating themselves and rising themselves up and we know that they weren't it's easy for us to see the person who's like look you know I became an alcoholic and I, I'm we can feel comfortable around that person I mean I'm speaking yeah. from my own experience I remember my friend started going to AA and I said um so do you think I have a problem she goes no no I'm I'm an alcoholic you know it, it's it's me and um I was like okay sweet Power to me. You know, I'm going to choke <laughs> some down, right? Yeah, yeah. I just kind of felt really uh, safe because of that. And, and that was really interesting. I wish we could think of something that was just this phrase that isn't that we're putting ourselves, we're not to be pitied, right? We, we're right. the ones who escaped this. We're the ones We're the ones not drinking. Freedom, right? And yet we have to defend ourselves. Yeah. Right. But also, exactly. they're like not. I think people just by not drinking, you're generating so much awareness and consciousness um, in people of their own behavior, which is brilliant that yeah. you don't even have to say anything. But what could we say to just like let people know that it's still me, you know, I'm still fun, I'm still gonna giggle with you and have a good time and, you know, but but not, um, not admit to a problem that that we no longer have. Well, I think that needs to be a critical mass. And I think that this will come about in the next few years where it's just, you know, it becomes much more socially acceptable to not drink. I mean, <laughs> it's a shame it has to be that way, but uh, uh, yeah, 
no, it has to be that way. There needs to be like a, a bunch of people that do that. Because right now it's like 80%, how many, it's like 80% of people drink. Yeah. And everybody that drinks can potentially have a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, it's everybody. Gone up massively in the last, um, yeah. just the last four years, there was an article that came out recently and it's just increased so, so crazily. And especially with women. I mean, women yeah. are on this. We are catching up. It used to be that men were really, you know, 60% of men and only a certain percent of women, I think 30, but now women are just skyrocketing up there to, yes. to catch up with our drinking levels, which um, it, it is that way. I mean, if you look at kind of evolution of, of cultural norm, you know, pretty much you almost have to come to this crisis point before people start. I know I, it wasn't, and I'm so thankful that my crisis was, I feel like I got off the train before it was going into the tunnel, much less before it went off the rails, right? And yeah. I'm, and so I'm so thankful for that. And, and I feel like my personal kind of mission is to help people get off the train well before it crashes. Yeah. And because there's a lot of people off the train, the people, the, you're talking about the 80% who, who don't drink, you know, a lot of the people who don't drink are people who have, have, have seen that train through to its, you know, end and said, okay, now I can never drink again. And, and that, right. um, that we don't want to really get sad there. picture for people because, you know, yeah. you think, okay, in order to not drink, I have to have gone through quite a bit of misery. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to have to be some sort of cultural shift. And I will say, you know, you're, you're in early days, but I will say time helps too. I think that people just have to get used to it. I think one yeah, thing that fine. I noticed is just being, um, going to the same things, being around the same people once or twice. And then, and then it's just kind of like, Old yeah. News, you know? <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I can't think of one thing that is made better by alcohol. Like even I've had better a better time going out without drinking. I'm clearer. I feel great the next day. Like I play a lot of tennis. And I was wondering, you know, I've been playing tennis like five years. And like, why aren't I really getting better? I know I'm getting older, but like, why aren't I getting better at tennis? Well, since I quit drinking, I've had about three matches. And my game has just like, because my brain isn't like soaked in alcohol, it is, my coordination is better. Right. Like, even though I wasn't drunk or anything while I was playing, but I mean, like hungover maybe. But yeah, even that. And then uh, just for work. That was, you know, I manage a bunch of writers, but I couldn't imagine doing a bunch of the writing myself like I used to. But uh, but now my brain's cleared up. It's like much more I can get my brain in it again. I mean, that's scary to think of that, but it's true. <laughs> right, right. And so in your experience yeah. in, you know, being a PhD and being a writer in the medical industry, you know, mm. what are from just that perspective, do you have any kind of thoughts or observations on, on kind of where our culture is at and, and where we're at from a medical perspective? Oh my gosh. I just think and it's more psychological really, but I think there's just so much shame about it all. You know, first of all, shame about how much you drink. We all drink, you know, we all drink a lot more than like what's one drink? What is the recommended I mean like what's the guideline? It's a it's half like a one pint drink a week one unit of alcohol. What is a half what a is pint. that? Yeah, right. <laughs> Who and drinks so that? The recommended guideline is I think it's fifteen units a week, so it's like less than it's less than a drink a day. I mean, you know, I mean, who drinks that? I don't know who drinks that. So we're all like drinking way more. And then if we could just have a way where it's seen more as kind of a self-improvement thing. 
I mean, in the U.S., we're all about self-improvement, working out, eating right. So why not like quit drinking? Why can't quitting drinking be a part of that? That's how I look at it. It's like the biggest self-improvement thing I've ever done, you know, is to not drink. Yeah, it's literally a cornerstone habit. It's like once you do this, everything else, it's like that big domino that if you knock down that domino, everything else (laughs) is going to kind of fall into place. It's, It's unreal. Yeah. I mean, I've also, I like, I, I'd like to lose, like, like most women, especially in their 50s, you know, you, you start putting on a little weight, and it's like, so if I could lose, like, 15 pounds, that would be great. Like, just from not drinking, I will lose that 15 pounds. Yeah. It's been the bane of my existence, you know? Right, <laughs> for, right, like, for sure. You know, once in a while, I'll lose it, then I'll put it back on. It's just like, if I, but not drinking, I can eat even a little more, and I'm going to lose weight. Yeah, so it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, just that, and then... But I, I, I would love it. Like, I think in the next 10 years, it is going to reach a crisis point. And I'm hoping that it will get to be where it's just the makes sense just for a bunch of us to all quit drinking and that we'll have more company in that. Yeah. And we I won't have to feel bad about it. There's some really <laughs> cool things that have been happening with um, younger, the younger generation. So the mm. under 25, under 26 is, you know, the percentage of that generation that don't drink is yeah. much higher than any other generation. And, you know, I've even heard quotes like, it's my parents' drug. Like, I saw I saw them. I'm not going there. And then I That's think good. also there's an element <laughs> of social media in it too, right? Like, nobody yeah. wants to have that video of them drunk. So, they're so their lives are almost recorded <laughs> nonstop, yes. whether it's through Snapchat or Instagram. And yeah. so um, they are very conscious of how they appear and they know alcohol will damage that. And so I think that there's a really positive trend in that people just looking at it kind of objectively and saying, well, well why exactly would you do that? You know, what would be the point? Right. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. That's great. So, um, a few, a few more questions. This has been just so, so awesome. So fascinating. Thank you. What sort of, you know, what would you give in terms of, I have a new thing starting and it's this 30 day alcohol experiment. And my intention is really to just lower the barrier to entry. I feel like lots of people, um, are questioning their drinking. Millions and millions and millions of people are questioning their drinking. In fact, I think probably 95% of drinkers have times where they say, oh, I wish I would have drank less. And so at some point or another, they're wishing they would have drank less. And and I want to just lower it so that it's not this scary black and white all or nothing thing that it becomes, okay, let's experiment. Let's try it out. Let's see if what Emma's saying is true. Let's see if what Anna's, Annie's saying is true. Um, and so I'm, I'm launching this experiment. I'm really excited about it. I just, I have a thousand people in kind of the beta group and I just asked them this one question. I said, you know, what's your biggest fear about going alcohol free for 30 days? And the biggest fear is, um, I mean, there's all sorts of fears. They fear the social experience. I think that's really a a high one on the list. Um, they fear not being able to kind of connect, not deal with boredom, not being able to sleep, all of these things that, that I'm sure you can relate to. But the biggest fear is the fear really a failure. And um, I was just wondering if you were to go back and kind of talk to yourself and tell yourself a little bit about what life is like now, like, what would you say? Well, when I was drinking, like what it's like now that I'm not drinking? Yeah. So if you're going to go back to your drinking self, the self that was afraid, the self that was like, I'm not going to be able to do it. And I'm, I'm afraid of doing it. What what would you say? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So yeah. So 
like I work very hard, like during the week, it's stressful sometimes. And so Friday, Friday night, it's like, oh, let's go out and have some drinks and, and we're going to have fun. And so, you know, here I've worked a long, stressful week and you're going to take that away from me. Yeah. <laughs> so what I would tell myself is that it's actually alcohol actually causes stress when you drink it. You don't think it does, but it does. It causes it. It's, it takes away from the experience. And so that thought that alcohol adds anything has to be taken away. That's what you got to crush. Like yeah. the people that miss it, like I'm on your, um, the community and your naked, my, this naked, my community. And, and sometimes people are like, Oh, I'm really jonesing after a drink. I really want like, that's what you've got to get past. You've got to crush the illusion that it actually adds anything and you're going to have more enjoyment. You've yeah. got to give yourself that chance. Yeah. It's hard because you don't think it. I know that. I've been there, you know. And then there's something like when you have stress and problems, it's like the one thing alcohol does do for sure. If you drink enough, it does obliterate you. you you'll pass out. Uh, but the trouble is you wake up and you still yeah. have the same issues. So it really doesn't, doesn't fix anything. Plus you have a hangover, so it's harder to deal with anything. Right. So I'm just saying, like, but it's so hard. Like, I wouldn't have, I'd be like, okay, whatever. I'd be like, alcohol becomes a friend to you in a way. It becomes something that you rely on. But it's not. It's something that, it's only something that takes away. Well, it's interesting like pick- because alcohol, um, so every single, it's just like smoking a cigarette. You smoke a cigarette and then you go through a withdrawal. And then you quickly you know, feel that withdrawal, you feel slightly uncomfortable. And so you want to smoke the next cigarette. So people become chain smokers really quickly. But with alcohol, most of the withdrawal we go through is when we're asleep, because we drink in the evening. And that's what's socially acceptable. And so a lot of that withdrawal we feel we don't feel and also alcohol kind of anesthetizes your ability to, um, well, to feel emotions for one thing, which is a big reason people drink, but also your ability to feel sick. So you feel sick the next day, where you should have really felt sick during the alcohol, but the an- anesthetic effect of alcohol has worn off while you're sleeping. So then you wake uh. up feeling what you would have felt um, if uh. alcohol wasn't an anesthetic. So, you know, you're going through this cycle and then you wake up and, and unfortunately the thing that, that takes that away is more anesthetic. And whether it's, you know, relieving that withdrawal and then we get duped into believing that it's that withdrawal um, feels like pleasure to us. Of course it does. It it takes away our anxiety. It it takes away that level of discomfort that we're feeling and it it makes us feel better and relaxed, but only better than um, where alcohol knocked you down to. So, you know, I heard it really well yesterday is like, if you have this scale of a hundred degrees of of human happiness and, and that first drink can bring you up 105 because it can anesthetize the bad feelings it can turn off your brain it just dulls and numbs your senses but then as soon as that drink wears off you're at 100 and you're at 99 and then you go up to 104 and then 98 and then you go up to 103 right. and then 90 you know and you, down and yeah. down and down and then over time you know you just really aren't enjoying it the only thing you're enjoying is the relief of the craving and the relief of the withdrawal and um, if we could just know that, like that fact by itself, I think yeah. people's perspective would just completely 
be changed, but it's not apparent when you're drinking. What's apparent is, like you say, it feels like a friend because it relieves these negative feelings that they created right. in the first place. It's created them, right? Yeah. It created them in the first place. You know, I, it's akin, it's an addictive substance. It's just like uh, smoking. So I just watched a relative, she was in her 70s, but she continued to smoke. She got lung cancer and she's still smoking. So it was like, you know, here she is, she got lung cancer. And you think, on what planet does that make sense that you're right. going to continue to smoke? But yet, how is that different? from alcohol it's not um i picture it too like um i sort of personified the alcohol like the alcohol to me is like an unruly tenant in my body and brain that i kicked out nice. the only way it can come back in is if i drink some formal i look at it like formaldehyde now yeah that sort of alcohol is like um but that's the only way that it would come back in but it's an unruly tenant that will ruin everything in my house Absolutely. And if you think yeah. about, you know, the formaldehyde example, I love that because That's alcohol, is, yeah. pure alcohol, you couldn't It'll even, come. if you drank one sip of pure alcohol, you would throw it back up immediately. You yeah. know, even hundred proof is a very relatively small percentage of actual alcohol. And right. that is ethanol. That is what fuels your car. It, there, there's no planet in which alcohol, it, you know, <laughs> repeatedly drunk is good for the human body. It just, no. it doesn't exist. Um, but yeah. anyway, so this has been just, just awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else, you know, you want to say to people who are kind of Gosh. on the fence or feeling afraid or? Yeah. So I don't know. So the 30 day challenge, uh, you know, I'm kind of an all or nothing kind of girl. So I don't know that I would have been happy with committing to 30 days but I think that's a good thing good place to start and I would love it if it was just cool to suddenly quit drinking alcohol and be like yeah you go that would be cool like if society could view it that way and I just hope that I mean it's interesting because you come from a marketing background right so you talk about marketing of alcohol in your book I mean I wonder you know I remember when I was a kid we could get cigarette candy Candy, oh, yeah. candy yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. I love those things, right? So I don't know if it's going to become uh, outlawed a bit to stop making alcohol seem so attractive to you. That would be a good thing. Well, in the UK, you know, they can't advertise alcohol. Oh, really? Stop. Nowhere, yeah. Wow. And all the pubs that. close at 11 p.m. And there are all these things the government yeah. have put in place because, you know, if you look at drinking trajectories, I think the UK has, has gone over. Um, and, and the amount of awareness that's happening right now, the amount of businesses sort of springing up, the amount of alternatives. They just had their first mindful drinking festival, which was an alcohol-free drink. So alcohol-free wines and spirits and just still socializing. Um, oh, wow. So there's a huge amount of awareness happening in the UK right now because exactly that reason. It became a, a health crisis to the point where the hospitals started talking to the government about doing something about it because of how much money they were spending um, just mm -hmm. on healthcare for alcohol-related diseases. It was, you know, uh, truly tragic. But we, we're still on that upswing in America. It's still quite cool to drink. And, and you know, recently um, alcohol started being put into movie theaters where it wasn't before and, right. you know, all sorts know. of places. So. <laughs> that, would be our, that would have been our criteria for picking a movie theater, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes, whether it's served. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think but, one yeah. other thing that you say um, that is so interesting is just, if, if we believe that there's so much evidence that shows everything you said, that there's just no benefit, right? But, but if we believe that there is, I mean, like neuropsychologists, they all agree on this phenomenon that we create what we anticipate. 
And so our entire culture is stacked against us. Our yep. entire culture and our personal experiences is telling us that it will be difficult and painful to quit drinking. And so mm -hmm. we anticipate that and we create it. And honestly, um, with the right tools, thankfully, it doesn't have to be so difficult. So yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story because it's just so encouraging for people to hear, you know, just that, that it can, it, it doesn't have to be hard. It can be beautiful. It's and a wonderful thing. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.